So if you, like I did, worked in, the, worked in an office in the 1990s or 2000, you'll probably know the name that I'm about to say. The company is called Successories. Anybody recognize the name Successories? Anybody? Oh, wow. Maybe not. Okay, a few of you. So uh, Successories is a company. It was founded by Mac Anderson in 1985. His hobby was collecting motivational quotes and sayings. And he started Successories by producing these beautiful posters that had a really nice, uh, highly produced picture on it and then would have a motivational saying underneath it. Now, if you're too young to remember these, and, but you watch a workplace sitcom like The Office, you'll often see them posted in the background. And so maybe you know what these are. But the poster said things like integrity, do what you know is right always, or determination, it's a commitment to excellence that will help you attain the success you seek. Or vision, a leader's job is to see the organization not as it is, but as it can become. Now, these posters became very popular. Does anybody, once you see that, do you recognize that? Yeah, okay, almost everybody. So maybe you don't know the company, but you know the posters. These became so popular that, in fact, in 1991, Successories opened a chain of retail stores at malls across the United States. Now, how many of you know what a mall is? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> So, so when I was in my 20s, I would go to Lafayette Square Mall on the west side of Indianapolis and walk through and there was a successory store in there and you could see these posters and you could buy all the motivation you needed for your business because after all, it's easier to hang a poster on the wall than to treat people right or listen to their ideas, right? Um, but they became so popular that like most happens to most popular things, they inspired a series of parody posters. And the most famous of these were called depressories. Okay, get it? Successories, depressories, okay? Uh, you could buy these at the aptly titled website, despair.org. And uh, if you wanted a demotivational saying on your poster, you could find one like this one that says, get to work. You aren't being paid to believe in the power of your dreams. Or risk-taking, the pain you feel today will be the strength you feel tomorrow, or you could die from it. It's hard to know with these things sometimes. <laughs> but my favorite one is this one, and it says, mistakes, it could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. <laughs> now, don't go buy this one for someone you know, okay? But why am I bringing these up? Well, it's because the story we're gonna look at today is of a man named Samson. And we often portray Samson as some superhero-like figure, but he wasn't the hero that Israel needed. In fact, his life, uh, as we look through the story, I think you're going to see his life can serve as a warning to us today. So Samson's story is found in the book of Judges. If you've got your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone, go ahead and open them to Judges chapter 13. Uh, we're going to put some of the key verses on the screens here, but we're going to cover a lot of ground today, so it may be helpful to have the story open in front of you. As Dan said, we're continuing in our series called Sticky Stories. This summer, what we're doing is looking at some stories from the Old Testament that we, you might have heard as a kid. In fact, we often think of them as kids' stories, but they've got lessons that stick with us throughout their life and throughout our lifetime. And I think the story of Samson fits squarely in that category. So Samson was one of the 12 judges of Israel. He's probably the most well-known, maybe the only one you know by name, except possibly for Gideon. Dan talked about Gideon a few weeks ago. Um, but the judges, uh, the 12 judges of Israel are Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Tola, Jer, Jephthah, Ibzan, Elon, Abdon, and Samson. 
Now, when you think judges, don't think about men or women in black robes kind of sitting up on a high bench and looking down, judging right from wrong. That's not the kind of judge we're talking about. The judges in Israel were really military leaders. They were the leaders of the people and the ones who helped defend the nation of Israel. And while Samson may be the best known, I think we can make the case that of the 12, he's probably the worst. And you'll see that as we go through this story today. Uh, So let's look at his story, and I'll show you what I mean. We're going to start in Judges 13, verse 1. It says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, this is really important. We're going to come back to this in a minute. But what we see as we read through the Old Testament is this cycle that the nation of Israel goes through of their disobedient, The Lord raises up a nation to come and take them over, to hold them captive, to to rule over them. And then they repent and they come back to the Lord. And then the Lord raises up a leader to deliver them out of their oppression. So this is a cycle that we see repeated over and over and over again. So for 40 years, they were in the hands of the Philistines. Verse 2 says, A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, here we have a couple who's being told by an angel of the Lord, they are going to have a child, even though they think it's impossible for them to have a child, and the child will be in service to God. Does this story sound familiar to anyone? (laughs) Uh, Who else has a story like this? Somebody from the, think, think from the New Testament. Jesus, right? Jesus has a story just like this, right? The angel appears to this couple, tells them they're going to have a child. He's going to be special in the Lord's eyes, and they think they're not able to have a child. This is exactly, now I'm I'm not telling you that so that we can compare Samson to Jesus, okay? But I do want us, as we look through this story, to think about the possibility that existed with Samson, right? Because I think what we're going to see is that Samson's story is really one of wasted possibilities, Now, back to this encounter with the angel of the Lord. Uh, If you've got your Bible open, I want you to notice something. It probably says not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Does yours say that? The angel of the Lord. Now, usually when the Bible says that, I want you to start looking for this because usually when the Bible says this, it's what's called a theophany. Uh, Theophany means that it is the Lord appearing in person. In this case, many times in the Old Testament, we think, many scholars think, that that is actually the pre-incarnate Christ appearing. Now, the reason I say that is this. One, uh, the way it's spelled out, the angel of the, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the angel of the Lord. Um, when we see it in the story of Jesus, for instance, they, it names the author names the angel. It's Gabriel. This angel is not given a name. Also, when most people in scripture see an angel, they're terrified, right? They see this being of light that they don't understand. But the wife of Manoah says this, I saw a man of God who looked like an angel. This angel looked like a man. And so that's why we think this is a theophany. This is from all appearances, God, the son showing up in person to deliver this news. Now, when you hear that, 
Doesn't that make you think about the possibility that existed in Samson's life? That Christ himself is coming to announce this, to deliver this promise. Now, the Nazarite vow, let's talk about that. This is something that was normally taken later in life as an act of obedience from someone to, to consecrate themselves for service in the Lord. And it was usually taken for a brief period of time. But in Samson's case, this is thrust upon him. And we're going to see the implications of that as we read through his story. But the vow has three guidelines. Number one is uh, don't, don't take any fermented drink. In fact, don't eat any part of the grape. Don't, don't eat grapeseed oil. Don't eat the skin. Don't take any part of the grape. Number two is don't touch a dead body. Um, it makes the people of Israel unclean, but for a Nazarite, it's forbidden. And number three, don't cut your hair for the length of the vow. Now, like I said, for many people, this is a temporary vow. But for Samson, this is a lifelong covenant with the Lord. So he's never allowed to cut his hair. And the hair is kind of the outward symbol of this covenant that's happening with God. Now, there are several pivotal moments in Samson's life. His story is a long and fruitful one for us, but because of the limitations of one Sunday morning, I'm going to have to skip through a lot of his story, so I'm sorry for that. But if you want more, we did a series in 2016, a four-week series on the life of Samson. It was called The Measure of a Man, and if you wanted to go back on your podcast, you could find that there. Uh, so this is going to be the Spark Notes version of Samson's story. But we said during that series, uh, this phrase that I think still holds true, this was uh, really helpful for me, Samson was a very strong man with very weak character. And as we read through his story, we're going to see why. Uh, Judges 13, 24 goes on. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. Again, I don't know how familiar this sounds to you, but it says that he's growing. The Lord blesses him. The spirit of the Lord begins to stir in him. If you compare that with the story of Jesus, we hear in Luke 2.42, for instance, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. So we see this parallel again between Samson and Jesus. In chapter 14, though, Samson's story starts to fall apart. We see him pursuing a relationship with a Philistine woman. Remember, we started this story by saying that the Israelites were being oppressed, being held in, uh, ruled over by the Philistines. And here is Samson. He's going to fall in love with the enemy. He's going to fall in love with a Philistine woman. What we're going to see throughout Samson's life is that he's got an affinity for women. In fact, he's unable to control himself around women. And God is going to use the hat to help free his people. This is the kind of God we serve, guys. He can use anything in your life for his own good. So he's, uh, Samson wants to marry this Philistine woman. His parents argue with him, as good parents do. Parents, uh, you argue with your kids when they're about to make a dumb decision, right? They argue with Samson. But Samson strikes back. Judges 14.3 says, Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for at that time they were ruling over Israel. And so it's right after this that we see the first sign in Samson uh, of what he comes to be known for, which is his physical strength. Verse five, Samson went down to Temna together with his father and mother. 
As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother. Now, what a weird culture this is, right? They, this is the story, the way the Bible tells it. This lion's coming at him, and so he tears it apart with his bare hands, just like you would normally tear a goat apart with your bare hands, right? You all know how to do that. How, how many of you haven't torn a goat apart with your bare hands, right? Uh, me either. Uh, this is, this is, I just love how this story is told. But here's this lion comes charging at Samson. Now, we don't know where his mom and dad are. What we find out is he didn't tell them. Um, but he's going down to Timnah with them. But this lion approaches him. And uh, this is the first place where possibly we see Samson violating his Nazarite vow. He's not supposed to touch a dead body. Uh, now, in fairness, some scholars think that's only for human dead bodies. Okay, but in this case, he takes this line and rips it apart, but it is charging at him. I mean, what's he supposed to do? Um, but later, he's going to go back to Timnah and get married, and he sees this dead lion by the side of the road and um, try to keep your breakfast down for this, but some bees have built a hive in the carcass of the lion, and Samson, as he's walking by, reaches his hand into the beehive, like you do, and pulls out a big scoop of honey and eats it out of this lion's carcass. How gross is that? But, I mean, think about that. He's intentionally touching this dead body and violate, potentially violating his vow, not in self-defense, but just so he could get something to eat. And so, uh, this all happens. Samson gets married. He hosts a wedding feast. Now, I want you to know, one thing you should know about wedding feasts in Israel is that there's usually a lot of wine that's flowing in wedding feast. If we, again, look at the story of Jesus in John chapter 2, he goes to a wedding in Cana, and they have a problem at the wedding, and the, wedding, the, the problem is, do you remember, they're out of wine, and everybody's about to go home. That's what happens at a wedding feast. When you run out of wine, everybody leaves. And so Jesus has to make more wine. Well, in this case, Samson hosts this big wedding feast in Israel. So likely there's wine flowing. I say that for two reasons. One, because that's what happened at wedding feast in Israel. And two, because it's when the wine starts to flow that young men do dumb stuff and make dumb bets and uh, take on stupid challenges. And that's what we're going to see in Samson. This uh, wine is flowing and he has all these new Philistine friends. Remember, he's not of this culture, but he's marrying a woman from the Philistine culture. And these 30 guys gather around him. And he says, hey, let me tell you a riddle. And if you guess it, I owe you each a suit. But if you guess it, you each owe me a suit, 30 suits, right? And uh, they work on this reel for three days. They can't figure it out. And they're, they're trying everything that they know, but they finally go to Samson's new wife, who, remember, is a Philistine. She's one of their people, and says, hey, would you go try to coax it out of them? And Samson, who is, again, unable to resist women, gives up the answer to this new wife that he barely knows, and she takes the answer to these men, and they come back, and they guess the riddle. Samson loses the bet. But instead of paying up fairly like he should do, go buy some new clothes or go, you know, have some made, he instead decides to kill 30 Philistines and take their suits of clothes. Now, I want to be honest here and tell you that this is a part of the story I don't really understand. Because this is Samson who is going to violate his Nazarite vow by killing these men, right? We know he's not allowed to touch a dead body, but in this case, he's the one making them dead. Uh, that certainly violates his Nazarite vow. But the Bible tells us that the spirit of the Lord came on Samson and enabled him to do this. So here is the spirit of God enabling him 
to break his Nazarite vow. That's a part I just don't understand. But certainly, you know, he's touching these dead bodies when he removes their clothes. So he broke this vow with God, but the spirit of God enabled him to do it. Again, he's not the, his, he's not the hero Israel needs. Now, this sets off an escalating series of events between Samson and the Philistines. Uh, the Philistines get mad. They kill his uh, wife and father-in-law to get back at them. Samson burns all of their fields. And these uh, wars back and forth between Samson and these people just keep escalating and escalating. And eventually they realize we're not going to get through to Samson. We need to go to his people and get his people to turn him in. And so the people of uh, the Philistines go to the people of Judah and they say, hey, if you can turn Samson over to us, we won't hurt you. And so they, they do. 3,000 men from Judah go to find Samson. Take 3,000 men because this is how scared they are of this guy. They take 3,000 men. They go to this cave where he's holed up. And they say, hey, Samson, um, the Philistines came to us. They're going to light us up if you don't turn yourself in. So why don't you be a, a, a good dude and uh, let us turn you over to them and save our lives. And surprisingly, Samson agrees. He says, all right, it sounds like a fair trade. You guys don't get hurt. I'll get myself turned in. But it soon becomes apparent this is all part of a plan. Judges 15, 14 says this, as he, as Samson approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. Now, this is a great story of using what you have to do the job you've got to do. Uh, but in Samson's case, uh, this is pretty incredible. He finds this jawbone sitting by the side of the road, uses it to kill a thousand men. And obviously this puts the fear of God. I don't know if it's capital G or small G, but the fear of God in the Philistines. And because there's this statement that we can miss if we're not careful, but Judges 15:20 says this, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. So because of this event, because of his killing of the thousand Philistine men, the, the Philistines are scared. The Israelites are impressed. The Israelites say, we're going to make you our leader. You're going to be our judge. And there's relative peace and calm in the nation of Israel for 20 years. But then it's after that that we come to the story that Samson is probably best known for. When we think about the name Samson, we often associate it with one other name, and that is Delilah, right? If you're a love song fanatic, you know Delilah the DJ, not the same person. I just want to make that clear. Um, but Judges 16.4 says this, sometime later, hey, if I can't entertain you guys, I'm going to entertain myself up here, all right? Um, Judges 16.4 says, sometimes later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Now these men, these Philistines were amazed at Samson's strength, which reminds me, and I want to give credit where credit is due here. Uh, if you listen to the, anybody listen to the podcast, the Bible recap, any Bible recap fans in the room? Yeah. If you listen to the Bible recap podcast, the host, her name's Tara Lee Cobble. She pointed this out this year on the Bible recap podcast. And I thought it was great. She said, we often think about Samson as this really muscular, uh, dude, superhero looking dude. He's built like the rock, you know, he's built like, uh, 
um, built like Dan Tao, you know, that was up here earlier, right? Super muscular, super strong. But Terry Lee Cobble says, I don't know that that's what Samson really looked like because if he did, wouldn't they just assume that his strength came from working out? Because he was a strong guy, his strength came from his muscles. Uh, his strength came because he lifts things up and puts them down, right? But he must not look like a traditional strong man because every time he pulls off a feat of strength, the Philistines are shocked by it. They're surprised and they can't figure out how he gets this strength. And in fact, if you look closely every time Samson pulls off a feat of strength, the Bible is very specific to say that the spirit of the Lord came upon him and gave him the strength to do that. So I believe uh, after reading this and hearing her commentary that Samson probably looked like a really normal dude probably look more like a runner than a weightlifter. Uh, but the Philistines want to know, and Delilah is up to the task. And so she keeps going back to Samson, uh, saying, hey, show me the secret of your strength, and Samson will tell her a lie, and she'll get called out on it, and then it happens again. And then finally this happens, Judges 16, 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength, which such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. And all the parents in the room said, amen, I get that. Verse 17, so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. Now, two things happen in this passage. Number one, Samson misplaces the source of his strength. He tells Delilah the source of his strength is in his hair, when really the hair is an outward symbol, remember I said, is an outward symbol of his covenant with God. So he misplaces where his strength comes from. But the second thing that happens is this. When Samson says that my mom made this covenant with God, he uses the word for God. He uses the word Elohim. Now, Elohim is a generic word for God. It's often a small g in the Old Testament, and it's used to describe the gods of the nations around Israel that uh, Elohim is not a particular God. So it's like Samson says, my mom made a vow with some God. That's what he says. And so Delilah shaves his head and the last vestige, the outward symbol of his relationship with God is gone. And he's violated his vow from probably drinking from the vine. He's definitely violated it by touching dead bodies. And now even the outward appearance of his commitment to God is gone. And so he's captured. He's captured by the Philistines. And they give him a fitting punishment, by the way. I think if you read through this, uh, he's, his eyes are gouged out. His eyes, which have caused him so much trouble because of women, are gouged out. Samson is forced to mill the grain, which is women's work. Now, if you think about the way that Samson treated women, the way he disrespected women, to be given a woman's job shows us two things. One, our God has a sense of humor. And two, that Samson, without the Lord's spirit on him was so weak, he wasn't even able to do men's work, men's physical labor. He couldn't do it. And uh, so Samson is finally defeated. Okay, I'm skipping over a lot of this story, but uh, what happens, he's uh, captured for a while. His hair starts to grow back just a little bit. The Philistines decide we're gonna have a party. We're gonna celebrate the fact that we have defeated Samson and we're gonna, we've got the Israelites back. And so they assemble this party in their temple. About a thousand men, a thousand Philistines are gathered in this temple. And eventually there's probably wine flowing again. And the Philistines call Samson out to perform for them. 
Here he is, this mighty warrior, this leader over the nation of Israel, and he's called to become their clown. And this sets Samson over the edge. He cries out to God one last time. Uh, his prayer in Judges 16:28 is really, really heart-wrenching. Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines from my two eyes. But this time something different happens. This time when Samson prays to God, he doesn't pray to Elohim, the generic God. He uses the word Yahweh. Now you may know Yahweh is the personal name for the God of the universe. It's the name the Jews would have held in high esteem. In fact, so high esteem that, that uh, Jewish rabbis wouldn't write the entire word out. They would abbreviate it so as not to accidentally blaspheme God. So when Samson first tells Delilah about this covenant that his parents made, he uses the word Elohim, the generic word. My parents, my mom made this covenant with some God. But now after all this time, after he's been in captivity, after he's been punished, after everything he's been through, he realizes that this whole time that he has been in a covenant, not with some God, but with God, the God of the universe, the creator God, the L-O-R-D, the God of the universe, the one true God who could pull him through whatever he was stuck in. And he's been in this covenant since birth. So what's happening here? Is Samson repentant? Does he finally realize the God that he's in this relationship with? I think that's what's happening. It's really the first sign of humility we see in his whole life, really. And I think that, this, that the passage telling us that his hair was starting to grow back is just a symbol. It's kind of an outward relationship of his growing relationship with God. Now, in this moment... Samson kills the Philistines and himself. It's his last act for God. But I think this relationship with God was starting to grow back. Um, that thanks to his parents, he was dedicated to from birth, but maybe he never really knew. And then that reminds me, I just want to take a moment and talk to those of you who maybe you grew up in church or you're still growing up in church and you're here today because your parents come or your parents made you come or your parents want you to go to church and, and you that's what you do, right? You're not here from your own volition, or maybe you are, but you don't really know God. You're here because church is something we do, and maybe you decided, even as adult, this is something I need to do, but I don't really, not really here because I know God. I'm here because church is an important part of my life. Um, Maybe you're here because your parents taught you about faith or because your husband or your wife is really into God and you just want to see what that's all about. Or you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend that, that is really into church and they want you to come and so you're here. I, I just want you to know, I want you to remind you, you can't get your faith from another person. If, if you grew up in a church household, if you grew up in a family that went to church and that's why you come because you think you're supposed to do that, I want you to know that there is a, very real and loving God who is crazy for you. He delights in you. And he loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to earth to live a sinless life, to go to the cross and die so that your sin could be paid for and then was raised from the dead on the third day because he wanted to show he can overcome anything that's happening in your life. But you won't ever know that unless you investigate God for yourself unless you really take the time to read scripture and to pray to him and to think, who is this God who wants to know me, who wants to have a relationship with me, what you'll find along the way 
is that, that same God has been pursuing you your whole life. But you just need to get to know him for yourself. And I think that's where Samson found himself at the end of his life. And I, I said early on that Samson's story is one of wasted possibility. And here's what I mean. Samson's at the end of his life in this really sticky situation. And he finally realized where his strength came from. And he finally realized the true source of his strength. It wasn't coming from his muscles. It wasn't coming from his hair. He was coming from God and not just a generic God. It was coming from the one true God, the God of the universe, Yahweh God who provides, the God who cares, the God who is a creator, the God who loves him. That is the God of the covenant with him. And that is where his strength came from. Now, here's my question. What might Samson's life had been like? had he realized that all along? How could things have been different for Samson? Think about those moments, those pivotal moments in Samson's life where he could have chosen to acknowledge where his strength comes from. He could have chosen to recognize the Lord God Almighty and that he is the provider of his strength. The, the psalmist says this in Psalm 121. He says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In this passage, the psalmist recognizes and acknowledges where his help comes from. But almost always, Samson chose to go his own way. He chose his own direction. Now let's contrast that again with uh, Jesus, who though he was by nature, God did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but instead he humbled himself, taking on the very nature of a servant. He made himself nothing and became obedient to death on the cross. By comparison, we don't see signs of that humility in Samson's life, but what if, right? What if he had chosen to do that? What if at the wedding feast, he had chosen to focus on his wife and honor God in his marriage instead of trying to impress his friends? What if he had shown integrity when he lost that bet and paid up the right way instead of having to kill 30 Philistines? What if when he entered the relationship with Delilah, he recognized how she was pulling him away from God instead of pushing him toward God? What if in those moments, instead of relying on his own strength, he had chosen to acknowledge God's strength? Friends, what if we did the same thing? What if we stop relying on our own strength and recognizing that we are much stronger in our weakness, that our only true strength comes from God, the one true God? You know, maybe when you walked in, you grabbed one of these stickers, this sticker with the flexed bicep on it, the strong arm of Samson, which maybe now I've told you is completely inaccurate and you're uh, not appropriate to the story. But I wonder if you would take one of these this week and, and put it somewhere prominent to remind you where your strength comes from. You know, the prophet Isaiah wrote it this way. He said uh, in Isaiah chapter 40, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And here's how I wanna encourage you. Here's what I wanna leave you with today. We all have pivotal moments in our lives where we face the same kind of decision that Samson faced. Am I going to rely on my own strength and make a decision that brings me glory? Or am I going to trust God's strength? Am I going to go his way or am I going to go my way? Those are not the same thing, you know. The Bible tells us in, in Isaiah, it tells us that uh, God's ways are not our ways. In fact, the prophet writes, as the heavens are higher than the earth, God, so are your ways higher than my ways. 
And so often when we have to make a decision, we'll do what feels right to us, but what feels right to us may not be the right thing to God. And so all across this room and even watching online today, we've got people who are trying to make a decision today. You got a decision of our business. Am I gonna honor God in my business or am I gonna choose this other way that maybe would enrich me more? but maybe it's not God's way. And maybe it's, maybe it's a move. I got to think about a new house, a new apartment and a new place to live. And there's a way that we can do this that will honor God. And there's a way that will bring me more glory. Maybe it's a relationship. Am I going to continue to pursue this relationship or is this really pulling me away from my relationship with God? I really want it. I want to go my way, but maybe God's way is a different way. I've got kids that I've got to raise. How am I going to choose to raise my kids? What am I gonna do with my aging mom or dad? Is there a way to honor God in that situation? How, how do I carry on after the marriage ended? How am I gonna conduct myself? How am I gonna honor God even in the midst of divorce? Or for some of you, you're thinking about going to college. What, what boundaries am I gonna set for myself? How am I gonna honor God even in my college life? We all face choices like that. And we can choose to honor God in those moments or we can choose to rely on our strength. Friends, I want to tell you that if I choose to rely on my strength, my flesh is going to take over and uh, it's going to do what it wants to do. So instead, I'm going to choose to do what the Lord would have me do. Every one of us has a choice in every major decision. I just want to encourage you today, instead of relying on your own strength, to trust that the Lord's strength is greater and that you can trust him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I am thankful for the story of Samson and what it represents. I'm thankful for your great love that encourages us that you have a way of doing things. And while it may not always seem right to us, it's right in your eyes. Lord, I just ask that you help us in every decision that we have to make uh, this week and in the weeks to come, Lord, that we could look to you and we could see the way that you would have us go and how it contrasts with the way we would wanna go and that we could always and only choose to go your way. God, we need your spirit to guide us in that. Your word tells us that whether we look to the right or to the left, we will hear a voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it. God, help us to hear that voice this week and to be attentive to you. We wanna do everything we do to honor you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.